Hi, this is Tom from The Happiness Quotient. Thank you for clicking on this episode. If you've chosen to listen to some of my first episodes, 60 or so, they were created before I changed the name to The Happiness Quotient. Don't be confused if you hear my voice welcoming you to Baker Street with Tom Pollard or if you hear me referencing my YouTube channel, Everest Mystery, you're still in the right place. Until I'm a big star and can hire an editor and producer to change every episode to reflect the platform, my gut tells me you'll be okay with hearing Baker Street or Everest Mystery when you click on an episode to The Happiness Quotient. It's all me. So let's just consider us one big happy family where we all learn together brought here by our common interests and our desire to create a better world one episode at a time. I love you. Thank you. Now to the episode. Welcome to Baker Street with Tom Pollard. This is part two of a two-part episode featuring my interview with Irene Butter, a woman who survived the Holocaust and many years after she came to the United States as a young girl, she wrote the book Shores Beyond Shores, From Holocaust to Hope, My True Story by Irene Butter with John Bidwell and Chris Holloway. Here's part two. In segment one of our two-part episode with Irene Butter, we talked about her book, Shores Beyond Shores, From Holocaust to Hope, My True Story. She wrote the book in collaboration with some old friends of mine. They used to actually live across the street from me and my family, John Bidwell and Chris Holloway. And... Chris was a student of Irene's at the University of Michigan some years ago, and they developed a friendship. Uh, actually, Irene told us that she used to watch over their firstborn child, Aiden, when, when Chris was busy writing a paper or working and developed a very close friendship that enabled them to find this strength that was required for Irene to open up old wounds, to actually go reinvestigate the deep pains that had been caused by her experiences in the Holocaust. So in part two, we are going to talk about the liberation of Camp Bergen-Belsen. Bergen-Belsen was a concentration camp it was not a death camp. However, there was such incredible brutality, just sadistic medical tests that took place there, a lot of starvation and sickness and, and overwork. Uh, uh, typhus was rampant there. Typhus is a bacteria-borne disease that is passed on to humans through mice and ticks or fleas. The the stories there are horrific, truly. Irene talks about them and so that she can get to her story of hope and what turned her from, uh, uh, if you will, from living a life where she never talked about her experiences on the Holocaust to realizing that sharing her story could really impact the lives of many. 
The music that we're listening to was found on the Free Music Archive and is by Tagirajus, T-A-G-I-R-I-J-U-S dot D-E. And that's the website, but Tajirajus is uh, beautiful symphonic music, and we are sampling the album Cinematic. And it's a beautiful sound that it seems appropriate for our subject matter with our interview with Irene Butter. This podcast, both parts, will be found on YouTube within a week of the release of these audio podcasts. So you can see my conversation with Irene that we conducted over Skype. Here's part two. The book is a, a real time piece. It's important. And it. I had learned just like any kid growing up in the United States, I suppose, about the Holocaust and, um, you know, learned whatever they taught. And, and, but, but you had a really busy, thriving career and working at a university and had, uh, I, I don't know if you could say it was an epiphany, but some, something in you made you realize that you needed to share this story. And you, it sounds like you devoted, the, you retired early and you've devoted your life to keeping this story alive. And like, tell me why and how that came to be. Sure. Well, there were kind of three events that I remember The first one was my daughter. She was in middle school here in Ann Arbor, and she was taking a course in public speaking. At the end of the term, she had to do a one-hour speech. And her topic that she chose was anti-Semitism, Hitler's conquest of Europe, and the concentration camps in one hour. And she came home, and she said, Mom, will you be my visual aid? And she gave me 15 minutes of her hour to describe life in the concentration camps. And I was shocked because I'd never spoken in public and I'd hardly ever even spoken with my family. So, but how could I turn her down? You know, (laughs) even though I was petrified to go to a class of middle schoolers, you know, how would they react? Were they going to fall asleep? Were they going to make fun of me? Were they going to be angry? I didn't know what to expect, but it went well, and that kind of broke the silence for the first time. Mm-hmm. And then uh, some years later, there was an Anna Frank exhibition that traveled throughout the country and came to Detroit. That was in, in the late 1980s. And I was invited to participate on a panel to talk about Anna Frank. And as I thought about my role on this panel, you know, it dawned on me that Anna didn't survive and her voice was silenced forever. But I was given the gift of life. So I needed to tell these stories because no one else could. And so that then um, started my going to schools. I started getting invitations. Mm-hmm. And, and that was more than 35 years ago, and I'm still doing it. 
Incredible. And I should add for the people listening or viewing this that you knew Anna Frank. That was a neighbor of yours in in right. Amsterdam. Correct. We lived in the same neighborhood. Uh, I did not know her well. Uh, she she and I did not go to the same school, but we had a mutual friend, a friend that was in Anna Frank's class, and, and she was uh, lived on the same street as I did, and she would often talk about Anna, because Anna was, you know, she was a very visible child, and um, I think she was very naughty, and so there were lots of stories about her that I enjoyed hearing. I knew what she looked like, but I, we didn't really know each other uh, in in any, you know, direct way. And then I did meet her in Bergen-Belsen one night. And that was because one of Anna's friends uh, was in, in the same barrack, lived in the same barrack as I did. And one night um, we were separated because Anna came, Anna and her sister Margaret came from Auschwitz when Auschwitz was liquidated. And they lived in a different camp. And we were separated by barbed wire and we were not allowed to speak to each other. So at night, this friend of Anna's uh, walked one night and she heard some people speak Dutch. And so she asked somebody, said, it is Anna Frank in this camp? And it happened to be so. So, so this woman called Anna to the, to the fence and I wasn't with her friend Hanali then. Uh, but she met her and, and she, she said um, she came back to the barrack and told me she had seen her and that she was very pale and very thin and she didn't have clothing. She All she had was a, a gray blanket wrapped around her. And she asked if Hanali could uh, throw over a bundle of clothing. Could she find some clothing to share? And so Hanuli came to the barrack and she and I both, uh, we had some of our own clothing. They were never taken away. They were rags, but they were clothing nevertheless and some other people. And so then the next night I went with Hanuli. Uh, see, you could only go at night in the dark. The the guards in the, in the guideposts wouldn't see us because everything was always kept dark because of the bombers. And so then I went with Hannah Lee and, and we met Anna and we had this bundle of clothing and threw it over the fence and another woman came, picked it up and ran off with it. And, oh. and then that was just before my family le left the camp on this prisoner exchange. And so many, many years later, I met Hannah Lee in Jerusalem Hanali survived and and then went to Palestine after the war ended. And then she told me that she threw over another bundle. And uh, Anna Frank did get it, but um, her, well, her sister, uh, Margot, she had uh, typhus and, uh, and she was so sick she couldn't come to the fence and talk to us and uh, we don't think they lived much longer than that night when we saw Anna. So 
people were so weakened from lack of nutrition and food and and in the case of your parents at least like so overworked without the nutrition that people were literally just dying in the camp and and um when you did get involved in in the trade and and you were put on a train to leave your mom and dad were in such a weakened state i i was i didn't know the ending of the book i didn't think your parents were going to get on that train uh they they sound like they were beyond weak like and it's incredible the just the willpower and the desire to get mom and dad miracles Um, well my mother had been bedridden for several months and some friends carried her to the train because she she wouldn't have been able to walk and and my dad um well i he he also was very very weak and uh Later on, we learned that he had been beaten badly and he might have had some internal injury we didn't know about. The fear, of course, was that my mother would die on the train. That Mm. was our fear. Yeah, not your dad as much as your mom, you thought, because your mom could barely lift her head. And what blew my mind, really, which was that when you went to sign in the day before, you were mistaken as your mom. They checked her off on the list, and here's a 13, 14-year-old girl, and they thought it was some a woman of 30 or 40 years old who was probably looked 90 at the time. Right. Yes. Well, it's a miracle. There were so, miracles. What anyway? What I call miracles because you can't explain them. The, your family made it out. It, it it you defied odd again odds against odds, and you made it. And although your dad passed on the train, he made it to freedom. He was the backbone of this of this mm-hmm. family, and it and that's your dad. It was almost like. I can, I can go now because I accomplished what I have been working so hard to accomplish. Yeah, it seems that way. And I've heard that a number of times of, of people who are very ill, that they hold on for a certain moment and then they know they can go. Well, I could probably ask you a hundred questions and I'm not going to because you've been kind enough with your time, but I do want to um, ask you a little bit about how important it is and has been in your life to share your story and what at least the core message of what, what are you endeavoring to convey to the students that you speak to? What's your goal for them? And what can and you could share that with me and us because it's incredible you're sharing the story, but there's something beyond just telling them an amazing story. Well, there there are definite points that I always want to leave with the students when I talk to them, and one of them is never a bystander. There's a, a documentary that someone here in Ann Arbor made about me by that title, about going to the schools and talking to students. And um, it's so much easier 
to turn your back to things that you don't approve of, don't want to bother, don't want to make the effort, but that we all have a responsibility. Uh, we need to protect each other. We need to respect each other. And uh, we can't be passive when things happen. It may be one group that's targeted one day, but then tomorrow it may be another group that's targeted and someday it could be us and we have to keep that in mind. So that's one lesson. Um, another one is one person can make a difference. And often we think of ourselves as being so small and the problems are so large and so we don't do anything. But that's not the case. We can all make a difference. And no matter how small it counts, what we do matters and what we don't do matters as well. And the, the third um, point I like to uh, make um, emphatically, because I've learned from students that when I tell my story, they tell me their stories. And there are tragedies in so many young people's lives. You know, whether it's divorce, whether it's illness, uh, whether it's homelessness, whether my dad is in prison. Uh, there are so many family tragedies. And then they connect with me and they share their stories. And so what I like to tell them is you can triumph over tragedy. It, it, you may be a victim at some point, but that doesn't mean you have to be a victim for the rest of your life. And um, taking a stand and, and um, holding on to hope will make a difference. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me tonight. I, I'm honored and I, I really will look for any opportunity to maybe cross paths if you're in the Northeast. And um, I, I, I'm, it, it's moved me a lot and it's been very inspiring. And, and I, I myself speak in front of audiences often sharing my stories about climbing Mount Everest and my adventures. And what you just left me with is really poignant because I try to leave especially the young people with something meaningful and um, it's only been recently that I've had the mm, the ability to really talk about losing my brother who was my soulmate and my best friend and in such a tragic and seemingly senseless way and uh, and I'm so thankful for that experience in bringing me to this place and I guess you could say as you share with the kids it's you can triumph over tragedy and and what a what a great message thank you well I I, I often get the question from even young kids and they'll say what kind of person do you think you would have become if you hadn't lived through the Holocaust which always baffles me that a young person would come up with that question. Of course, it's unanswerable, but it does make you think. And I recently um, saw in a book, um, I had a conversation in New York at the 
Museum of Jewish Heritage with um, Andrew Solomon. And so he has a, a statement. I don't know if it was in a TED Talk or uh, one of his books. And he says, it's the most, well, I'm not exactly quoting, I'm paraphrasing. It's the most difficult moments in our lives that make us who we are. It's perfect. It's it's yeah. it's perfect. Well, the book is Shores Beyond Shores: From Holocaust to Hope: My True Story, by Irene Butter and John Bidwell and Chris Holloway. We're obviously instrumental in this book ever making the light of day. And, Absolutely. <laughs> and that that girl who was in your class in Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan, some years ago. What a what a fortuitous thing for me and for all the people who have come into contact with you. So thank you so much for taking thank this. Thank you. It was wonderful speaking to you. And have you, have you written a book about your mountain climbing? I am working on one now. And I, I had written a 50-page um, proposal. And I shared that with a couple of potential agents who I had hoped would help me find a publisher. I've found a new arc. I've returned to Mount Everest in, in the spring, and I think I've taken my 20-year journey, and I can put a, a cap on it. And so I've, even though there's many, many, many pages, I've started it over. Um, so suffice it to say, there is not a book yet, but I'm, it is, it is exactly what I'm endeavoring to do. And I feel I, I've got a good story to tell and share. I would be most interested in reading about it. Uh, for the inspiration, I'll get that thing done and I'll let you be the first to read it. Well, thank you so much. A pleasure thank to you. meet you. And I enjoyed the conversation. It was an honor to have the opportunity to speak with Irene about her book, Shores Beyond Shores, From Holocaust to Hope, My True Story, that was written in collaboration with two friends of mine, John Bidwell and Chris Holloway. I was moved by this book, and if you are interested in finding out any more about it, you can go to Irene's website that John put together. It's irenebutter.com, I-R-E-N-E-B-U-T-T-E-R.com. And the publishing website, canofworms.net. And there are also a lot of other books on there that might be of interest to you. But I strongly encourage you to get this book and share it with friends and family. And if you enjoyed what you heard here on Baker Street with Tom Pollard, I do hope you will share it with your friends and family. And if you're on iTunes listening to this, please click subscribe to Baker Street with Tom Pollard. Give me a review. I hope it's five stars. If it's not, well, so be it. But I hope you'll listen, share it, and let people know about what we're doing here at Baker Street. My YouTube page, if you go to YouTube, you can find it. All you have to do is go into the search bar at the top and hit Baker Street with Tom Pollard, and that will take you right there. 
There are lots of cool little stories on there and some of my podcasts that I've done in person. But uh, primarily what I want to do right now is thank John Bidwell and Chris Holloway, old friends of mine, for introducing me to Irene Butter and Mary Bisbee Beak, which is Irene's agent, two incredible people, and for sharing her story with me. Irene tells a passionate story, and it's heartbreaking, but it's also full of so much inspiration and hope. As you know, at Baker Street with Tom Pollard, we endeavor to bring stories of passion and joy and hope and introduce you to people who have found their core spirit. One person at a time, we can change this world. And it is stories like Irene's that truly bring hope and inspiration, even to the most downtrodden and depressed of people. I hope you'll share this with your friends and family, and I hope you'll reach out to me with any ideas or thoughts. It's always such an honor to have you here. Thank you so much, and we will certainly see you all real soon. If you're still here, please, I would love it if you checked out my Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash Everest Mystery and my YouTube channel, Everest Mystery. Check me out. And as always, leave comments and share your thoughts whenever you can and share it with friends who might be interested in hearing or listening or watching. Thanks so much.